Hello, you. Welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous. We're talking about it with the tremendous Suze Kempner. We are so lucky Suze is here. And I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. And I'll soon be joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah Marshall. Drop Dead Gorgeous is a 1999 American satirical mockumentary black comedy film about a small town beauty pageant directed by Michael Patrick Jan and starring Kirsten Dunst, Ellen Barkin, Brittany Murphy, Allison Janney, Denise Richards, Kirstie Alley, and Amy Adams in her film debut. The movie is set in the fictional town of Mount Rose, Minnesota, and the town is based on Rosemount where the writer of the film, Lona Williams, grew up. And Suze Kempner is hard to summarize because Suze just straight up does it all and she does it all extraordinarily well. She is a stand-up comedian. She's a singer. She's a performer. She is in Doctor Who. She hosts two podcasts, one being Mystery on the Rocks and another being The Queen podcast. And Suze is on tour right now in April, in May, and in June. Uh, you can find out those tour dates in uh, her website link, which is in our show notes. Just just an incredible, wonderful, lovely person. I already can't wait for Suze to come back to the show. How's it going out there in the world, everybody? How is your life? Tell us what's going on. Find us at You Are Good Pod on Instagram. Find us at You Are Good Pod on Twitter. Let us know what's happening. I hope everything's going okay. I hope you're getting some time for yourself, if that uh, if that's at all possible <laughs> these days. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. You Are Good is made possible with your support. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Apple Podcast Subscriptions. This month's episode is about Sex and the City Season 2. We'll have Eve Lindley with us. Uh, Eve loves costuming. Uh, she was with us on the Devil Wears Prada episode, so we'll talk a lot about that. We'll talk a lot about all sorts of things. It was a great conversation. I'm stoked for you to hear it. And then next month, we are just don't lose your mind on this one. Please keep it to everyone. Keep it together. Sarah finally watched season one of Succession. So she was like, we should do maybe a bonus about Succession. And that's what we're doing. I don't know how much of the show we're going to cover, but that is absolutely a thing we're going to dive into a little bit. We're going to talk about it. We'll talk about the, the family. We'll probably be a couple years behind. All right, before we dive in, uh, this movie is very much a movie that was made in the 90s. This movie has a lot of 1,000% uh, <laughs> trigger warnings for 90s satire and we talk about that in the episode we uh pick it apart if it ever feels like it's being justified i don't think it really is we're we're just kind of trying to explore why things were the way they were when this movie came out and despite many of its shortcomings i think we still have a lot of love for what's underneath it so it's a interesting and layered conversation and i just want to give you a heads up that that is what you're getting into all right, without further ado, let's talk about Drop Dead Gorgeous. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. Or as they say in Minnesota, hi, how are you? Oh, beautiful. Um, wonderful preview of what's to come. I didn't appreciate because we went to Minnesota uh, recently for the You're Wrong About tour. Like five minutes ago. Five minutes ago. And I didn't appreciate the fact that this movie ends with the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. Oh, I didn't think of that. Works on two <laughs> levels, which is w w how, what she becomes. And then also there's the Mary Tyler Moore statue in Minnesota because I guess that's where it takes place there must be or is that where mary tyler moore is from both yeah sweet because there's didn't carolyn go see the statue of mary tyler moore throwing her hat i did yes you i did. sent you a group picture at 5 30 in the morning about it of course you did i know <laughs> alex is like here's what alex's life is like he wakes up at the same time monks are waking up and then at 6.30 in the morning he gets a big cup of coffee and he just starts texting me about old newspaper articles about industrial accidents. That is exactly right. And so by the time I wake up, they're all ready to go. <laughs> by the time I wake up 16 hours later. 
I want you to know that I do everything I text you. I go, is this a thing Sarah should wake up to? I know. <laughs> I do try to measure that accordingly. But that is that is not an inaccurate description. So we were going to, for a bonus episode, because we were in Minneapolis, we were going to cover Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. And then... By the grace of God. Yes, absolutely. We asked our guest today, uh, Suze Kepner, to come on the show and asked what she wanted to cover. And uh, what did you want to cover, Suze? I, top of my list was Drop Dead Gorgeous. See? Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing this to us. Tell us about yourself before we dive in. Oh, I'm a, a Great Britain-based comedian, singer, actor in this nation. We're very bad at saying what we do and anything <laughs> other than that. I do, I do a load of old shit, really. Um, so I could hear it coming out in my voice there. Uh, sorry about that. But yes, I, I actually saw Drop Dead Gorgeous eight times at the cinema when I was 14. Oh, wow. Uh, which is when it came out in 99. And at the time you could buy an eight week pass for 25 pounds and so we you all me and all my nerd friends did that at the summer of 99 and i saw that eight times but i saw the south park the movie nine times <laughs> is that was that the most movie in in one go that you've seen was south park i think it is yeah i think it uh, certainly in the cinema yeah i saw the irishman twice but i think that's <laughs> It's a similar amount of time, but I saw the Irishman once, which I thought was some kind of record. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what's your relationship with Drop Dead Gorgeous? Here's something funny. Drop Dead Gorgeous is one of those movies that I never had seen. And I and everyone was like, oh, you'd love it. And I was like, shut up. Don't tell me what I'll love. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> you've seen this happen, Alex, right? I have. <laughs> How many people have you watched in real time tell me to watch Succession? And I'm behind. I'm like, don't, don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Let her think she found out about it by herself. <laughs> <laughs> so and also the thing about Drop Dead Gorgeous is that it's very hard to watch because you can't stream it. You kind of need to buy a DVD or like watch it illegally, which like <laughs> would you download a car? Yes, I would. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> if I can't get a car at the car store. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Obviously you would. Yeah, this will be the next app. And Suze, I feel like you foretold a future. Everyone was like, don't worry about it. We're headed toward a technological utopia where you can watch any movie you want whenever you want. And you were like, no, I have to commit it to memory so I can recite it to my comrades as we walk through the nuclear wasteland in search That's of right. canned goods. Well, give it five years the way my country's going. <laughs> oh, right there with you. Yeah, I'll meet you in the middle of the North Atlantic. <laughs> Fantastic. Oil rig lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can be like that boating children of men. <laughs> but anyway, so I hadn't seen this movie until I was visiting our dear friends. And we like we have a lot of friends on this show, Alex. And like you and I both have a lot of friends and we have a lot of friends together. But like Kelsey and Miranda are like truly some of the best friends of all the friends. Yes, for sure. <laughs> They're the best. It's not a competition, but they won it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I was visiting them in Seattle and we watched Drop Dead Gorgeous. And I was like, this movie, like it is so good, like everyone has been saying, but like it's so good on a level I didn't expect because so good mm -hmm. doesn't convey it because like the kind of perfect you know, I mean, it has plenty of flaws and we'll talk about them, but like the tone of it, the like Blair Witch Project meets <laughs> um, <laughs> waiting for Guffman mockumentary style of it, like the the perfection of the performances, the fact that mm. uh, Allison Janney reminds me so much of the mom of a friend of mine who's from New Lisbon, Wisconsin. And then the twists of it, the plot, mm -hmm. I was just like... So delighted. I felt like you mm -hmm. do after an amazing meal where you're like, I didn't know you could do that with food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that this is the first movie to come out of the crew of The State, even though this isn't like a The State movie. This mm -hmm. was directed and written in part by uh, Michael Patrick Jan. And it suffered the same fate that the state did, which mm. is like it just it was hard to like the state was you could only find relatively recently online anywhere. Mm -hmm. And this just, you know, lives 
in between legality out there. And so if you want to watch yeah. it, you have to really have to either already own it or be willing to watch it in a way that the authorities don't like you to watch things. It lives on a barge in our children of men world of rights. <laughs> yes, there's multiple copies. <laughs> it, it's one of the first movies I think I saw at that time that I felt got my sense of humor, which was like, which was critical for sure, like cynical, but not absolutely jaded, like mm-hmm. cynical with a heart. Mm, like totally. this movie was cynical mm. with a heart in yes. a way where I was like, I was like not an edgelord by any means. I was, but I was certainly like, I need someone to see how fucking ridiculous everything is. That would be really yes. great, but also not want to, you know, burn the world down entirely, like to like see that there is something redeeming still there. So this was like one of the first movies I think I saw that did that. Well, I feel like like the heart of this movie is Kirsten Dunst tap dancing down the road. (laughs) Yes. You know, like that's what this is really all about. Right. And it's and it's like mean at times. Yeah. But I would also add, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like small town America isn't like this. And like as far as I can tell. In a lot of small towns, and Alex, I feel like you were the one of the first yeah. people I knew who could have been the person who was just like working their second high school job and pulled back the shroud on the corpse that they had to do makeup for and realized it was their crush. Like, I feel like that could have happened to you. I'm kind of shocked it didn't. No doubt. No doubt. No, this this is uh, as... This show's small town America authority who went to high school. Again, my high school was 8th through 12th grade and 430 kids. Right. This is real. There's a lot of, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk kind of about the, the problematic pieces of this movie, mm-hmm. about like how much uh, we're talking about like what the town's really like versus showing what the town's really like as an opportunity to have some punchlines that you two are in on. We'll talk about that for sure. But like this is exactly how it was in my town at least from Mm -hmm. the perspective of someone who felt like a little aware and was like are we Mm -hmm. fucking serious right now like Mm -hmm. is this how we're all being well (laughs) there aren't towns like this in the uk because you're never that isolated Mm -hmm. so of course we have small towns but it's never like this Mm -hmm. i'm in a small town i'm also 45 minutes from london Mm -hmm. however when in 1998 my family who never went on exciting holidays we did the trip of a lifetime we went to Maine <laughs> to visit my granddad uh, my granddad is from Austria then moved to the UK and then when he divorced he married an American woman and they moved to a town called Fort Fairfield in Maine I know it I know Fort Fairfield you know Fort Fairfield <laughs> oh, yeah, ah. for sure. of course you do it's a, a mile from the Canadian border yep. and I've been uh, there oh <laughs> ah well Mike we went out there to visit granddad and the main potato blossom festival was happening yeah hell yeah <laughs> my apologies to everyone for what I just did with my voice it was great <laughs> the Fort Fairfield beauty pageant was happening which I uh, was a, a qualifier for state mm-hmm. and <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go but my parents went along and watched it and they came back to my granddad's house and pretty much woke me up to act out the entire thing and my mom she still it's been 25 years you still can't bring up this beauty pageant without her doubling over laughing and impersonating some girl in a body stocking that shouldn't have been see-through but was performing <laughs> um, macavity really really out of tune from cats and she she still Aww. she will still do that and so when Drop Dead Gorgeous came out it's the mm-hmm. first film I ever took my parents to see um, oh and I was like you gotta see it it's just like what you said and they watched it and I watched them watch the film in the cinema and it was one of the great afternoons of my life my parents were oh, like that's, ah! <laughs> that's so beautiful that's so great because when I was watching it today that when the talent portion comes along I was like I haven't been to a beauty pageant but like I've read a lot about Miss mm. America I've like watched it on TV and like the mixed bag of stuff you get in beauty pageant talent stuff is like incredible and it felt mm-hmm. like they were really nailing it. <laughs> oh the talents are, are wonderful I because I hadn't watched it in I reckon 15 years and oh, then wow. I every time I listen to your podcast I go Oh, do you know what would be great? Drop Dead Gorgeous would be good for this. If I ever got asked, I'd suggest yes. Drop Dead Gorgeous. So when you did, I went, I'm going to suggest Drop Dead Gorgeous. And revisiting it was weird. It was a very different mm. film to what I remembered, even though it was incredibly familiar. Mm-hmm. 
but their talents stood out to me. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's so sweet. Every like all of the girls who are contending are like so wonderful. Like they're they so are. like I like they are yes. never the butt of the joke. Like maybe their mm-hmm. particular enthusiasm for this stuff. Like there's like mm-hmm. a way to see it as funny, but like yes. They are not the villain in this movie, which yeah. I really appreciate. Yeah. They're just earnest. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's a girl who's like just a deaf stan. Yes, it's so crazy. <laughs> she stands deaf culture. Which is such a thing. Like, I don't know if that's yeah. a thing elsewhere, but like, I feel like in North American evangelical culture, that's a thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God. Um, Sarah Marshall. Alex Steen. Do you want to uh, take us on a little tour through town uh, before we dive in fully into a conversation about the movie? Yes. Let's all get our coats on and <laughs> take a ride down to Mount Rose, Minnesota. <laughs> so this, yeah, this movie starts off by establishing the Sarah Rose Cosmetics Miss Teen something something anyway and we're we're in the the mount rose pageant which will feed into the miss teen princess minnesota pageant and then into a national pageant so it's a big deal and so we first meet the pageant director kirstie alley or gladys lehman who is married (laughs) alex to your favorite guy sam mcmurray yeah so great love this guy (laughs) Who I know is Chandler's boss. He's got a globe in his house that is stores his liquor. And then he's like, what does he say? Like, the, there's a tape player down here. Tape deck comes out of Afghanistan. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> so the, obviously this family is just the worst. They are like terrifying rich Christian gun nuts who are running this town like Ben Gazzara and Roadhouse. Hell yeah. Great Ben Gazzara reference. Thank you very much. Love it. I do it wherever I can. And so their little daughter, 29-year-old Denise Richards, who based on this movie I think has never gotten her due as a comedic actress because she is so fucking funny in this. Agree. Agreed. Oh. Her timing is exquisite. Yeah. In her talent portion, she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Okay. That's perfect. Yes. And her control of her face. Like I feel like she's yeah. like her expressiveness is like is so incredible. And so she's Oh my god. When Kirstie Alley tells her to smile when she's on the float and like her just (laughs) her annoyed smile is so good. Yes. So we're meeting all the contestants in the upcoming pageant and we know from the beginning that it's probably going to be fixed in favor of Becky Lehman. But we meet our other pageanteers who include Amber Atkins, Kirsten Dunst, who is just cute as a button. Her mom is Ellen Barkin and she lives in a mobile home and she tap dances her way home and she has a job in the cafeteria and after school being a corpse cosmetologist just like Jamie Lee Curtis and my girl oh yeah (laughs) and then our other contestants are dog girl Brittany Murphy who I just love so much um and I love how her character is like giggles so much yes and she like giggles and then she gets into this like, you know, just like total belly laugh. And she like <laughs> loves her gay brother so much who's doing these like diva drag shows in New York City. And also that she was conceived because her parents needed a kidney for him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a line that you can totally not even hear. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a real aside, isn't it? I also I love her character because I'm pretty certain that she has no talent and is aware of that. Yeah, I know. And I guess like (laughs) I feel like she just loves her brother so much. Mm. They're like, that's her character. And you're like, I get it. I see it. And there's there was like always I remember people in high school that were like that that were like my brother's like out in college or in the city and I love all the things that he loves like yeah. my personality is like looking up to my brother or yeah. sister and it's so sweet mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. such a sweet character well and especially if they're in New York City right and they're like a connection to like the whole world yeah and not their dad, who's not played by J.K. Simmons. Yes. Exactly. And like, this is, I think, the one instance historically of like outing someone without their consent, apparently being something we can let slide, oh, yes. perhaps, because we get the best line read in all of film, which is Sue's. 
Um, you know what? Peter's gay. Gay! <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very 90s to out someone without their consent and it be a heroic moment. <laughs> it is. It's like, well, there we were. And yeah, and we've backslid in some ways, so that's pretty humbling. Yeah, yeah. I am in the land that breeds turfs. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the climate. Maybe they grow like turnips. Yeah. <laughs> you look outside, the weather's gray. You may as well turn uh, against a minority you hadn't thought about once five years ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know. And I feel like that does connect. This is like something that really, whenever I think about it, I find it so much bigger than I think the broader culture has like recognized where like JK Rowling specifically like made such a home for so many kids who grew up and then like yeah. heard her say explicitly that she like does not think they should exist. Yes. And like that's what an incredible act of emotional terrorism. I honestly think like in 15 years, her name won't come up other than to go, oh, yeah, she was this children's writer who is now a, a basically a hate preacher. She's a nightmare. Her stupid sequel play, Cursed Child, which is just packs them in in the West End. I know it's running on Broadway and in New York yeah. and in Toronto as well. This play is just the biggest thing ever. And they can't make a movie of it because the original cast don't want anything to do with her. Yeah. And yet she still is like, I know I'm right. <laughs> it's literally like, Sarah, it's like New Nightmare, right? It's like she like created this whole environment, right? She created this whole thing. And then like out of that thing sprang a villain inspired <laughs> by the thing that she created. That's true, huh? <laughs> Like, she's like the Voldemort, like, Freddy Krueger from New Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she has no nose and she lives inside of a child's brain or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so what is, so what is Drop, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Dead Gorgeous about? about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So our contestants are uh, Denise Richards, Kirsten Dunst, Dog Girl, Brittany Murphy, mm-hmm. Deaf Stan, yes. the Asian American line dancer, <laughs> yes. self-described, the uh, Soylent Green girl, who might yes. be my, it's definitely the one I most identify with. <laughs> yes, I do. When, when she runs the hand over her face to start the scene, it kills me every time. Oh, uh, Amy Adams. So good. Yes. Who just loves to fuck, we think. Like, that's yeah. Her, that's her, yeah. Her character is unabashed fuck. It's great. And she loves the muskies. And, and just her boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. And then we have Tammy, who's our like sporty spice competitor. And is there anyone else that I'm not thinking of? No, I think that's it. Great. So we have nine girls, and then we watch them get picked off hmm. because... First, we see Tammy explode while she's riding <laughs> off into the sunset on her father's thresher, which is great. And then basically, it's like a mockumentary, not really a murder mystery, because we all kind of know who's doing it. Yeah, it's very <laughs> obvious what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Where Gladys and Becky Lehman are picking off potential competitors for the pageant and mm-hmm. also clearly have it out specifically for Kirsten Dunst, Amber, they, yes. what did, did they, they like set fire to her mom's trailer, I guess? Yeah, they essentially like blow up the mom's trailer. Yeah. So her mother ends up in the hospital. She's living with Allison Janney, which is the mm. best. And she, uh, Amber wants to withdraw from the competition. But basically her, her mom and Allison Janney and kind of, kind of the most dramatic part of the movie are like, no, you can't. Like, you got to get out of this town and this is your yeah. chance to maybe get out. Yeah. Which is like, I don't know. I think any movie about like, we got to get out of this town is just like, great. Yes. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> Absolutely understood. And then we come to the pageant itself, which is like, you know, starts the last half of the movie roughly. And... Suze, I would love for you to just take it from here because I feel like you just My you know it so well. It's going to be better. So <laughs> this the pageant itself 
happens. Um, numerous things go on, like the dog girl just throws up big time and then <laughs> has to go on stage with definitely puke down her blouse and then just do impressions. Uh, no, she does, it's the dog girl. She does impressions of dogs and that's her mm-hmm. talent. It's so good. And the uh, deaf stand girl is going to... Um, sign a particular song i can't remember what song it is it's looking through the eyes of love by melissa is it melissa manchester oh yes it is because there's two songs by are there two melissa manchester songs? oh my god yes because um the previous uh winner from the year previous who is on the anorexia award of the local hospital Mm -hmm. attached to like um uh, a heart monitor machine that is bleeping and everything like she, she's on oxygen it's not very realistic mm-hmm. <laughs> um she's got emphysema as well yes yeah she's she's just a real bad way but they have her being pushed around in a wheelchair by a nurse while she does her talent from last year which is lip syncing to don't cry out loud it's the best. With arm movements and nothing else yeah so we get to see that as well pure pathos <laughs> and that that character she's just like she contributes nothing to the plot really but like (laughs) where would we be without her we would be so much poorer absolutely so Kirstida's talent is uh, she's a tap dancer I don't know where she learned to tap I always assume it's self-taught it feels self-taught yeah it does because it's not like technically beautiful but it's a brilliant performance uh, and everyone sort of leaps to their feet cheering it's so fantastic her costume has finally been destroyed so Brittany Murphy pulls out of the pageant and lets Kirsten Dunst use her costume because that's been okayed by the judges so she gets to perform and um Kirstie Alley's clearly furious and it's such a great scene and they're like oh, pressing their faces together I cried I was I when I watched it last week I teared up I was like yeah. Jesus Christ this Tina just amazing. <sighs> yeah, and the part where Brittany Murphy is like talking her into it, she's like, I'm not going to win. You yes. know, and it's like, it's such a great, like, that's show business moment, too. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Female friendship forever. Yeah. I never had friends like that when I was a teenager. My friends sucked. Oh, I know. Because um, most of the time <laughs> when you're a teenage girl, your friends are absolute bitches to you. Yeah, they're horrible. <laughs> not, not one of them would have pulled out of a beauty pageant and let me use their costume. <laughs> <laughs> So then it's finally we get to see Denise Richards' talent and she's going to sing You're Just Too Good To Be True. And she goes, do you know what? There is a special man in my life. The rumours are true. And then she doesn't sing You're Just Too Good To Be True because she obviously cannot sing. So her performance is just her going, you're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. And you think, oh, it's this. But then we see her special guy in her life. It's Christ on the cross, a model of Christ on the cross that she dances with. And it is a jaw-dropping moment. It is. I watched my parents like a hawk when that happened. (laughs) I love that. That like it was there's so funny it's all these like little pieces of this movie that have stuck with me that I haven't thought about until I saw them and they were activated but the part where so like the cross is on a dolly yes so it's like on yes. wheels and then Jesus is like a puppet kind of like a like almost like a felt <laughs> puppet who's velcroed to the cross and so when she takes his velcroed hands off the cross to wrap around her chest for some reason that's just inside of me and I was like oh yeah I forgot if that happened it's so good the part where she like marches across stage with him on her back is so fucking great. And she's like turning her head and smiling the whole time. Yes, it's all heavily choreographed. It's so heavily choreographed, choreographed, and it's crazy because one of the great scenes in '90s teen cinema is. Heath Ledger is singing this song in 10 Things I Hate About yeah. You. And how yes! could you outstate, yeah. like, how could you do that sub- either match or be better? And this movie does both. Mm. Yes. They did. They And they came out the same summer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What a, you know, that was quite a summer. What was happening? <laughs> yes. And let me just point out my favorite thing about the Jesus part, which is that Jesus's hands are these, like, just fingerless <laughs> mitts. And there's something really yes. funny about that. And also that he's like this boneless, jointless, stuffy. Yeah, sort of um, 2.5D. Uh, yeah. And 
Hasn't he got like a drawn on six pack? Like they've done full sexy Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. It's perfect. They picked the perfect Jesus. And you're like, when was Jesus getting core definition exactly? <laughs> yeah. Did Jesus have great calves? <laughs> of course he did. He was walking around. Did he have abs? No, of course not. Come on. No way. No way. Abs were not were not around until like the late nineties. Yeah. yeah. Come on. They didn't invent abs until then. Yeah. Until Fight Club. Exactly. <laughs> but so so Drop Dead Gorgeous. So yes. So the winner is. Yeah, Drop Dead Gorgeous. And the winner is Denise Richards, and everyone's like, oh, I see. And also the, the runner-up prizes are fifty and seventy-five dollar certificates to Votech school. Oh yes. scholarship. (laughs) Which is like, what's she going to do with that? Why bother? And yeah, even first price is only a $500 scholarship. I'm sure that pays. I mean, I I know that um, university tuition in the States is notoriously expensive, although we're now not far behind. Congrats. I don't know how much $500 would get you. Yeah. <laughs> it still wasn't great in 99. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so, and Denise Richards is so surprised. <laughs> She's named the winner in a clear fix, and there's there's a parade in the town in her honor, and the father who had the drinks globe, um, he has ordered his Mexican workers, as they keep pronouncing it, to mm-hmm. construct a huge swan float. It's like a big, beautiful swan. And Kirsty Alley says, well, and when we light these flowers, it will be like she's on a lake of fire. And Denise Richards is saying it's it stinks of gasoline. To say, to, like they, 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 everything smells of gasoline in Mexico, I think, Kirstie Alley says. Um, yeah. And she forces yeah. her to go stand up the top. Really hoist by her own petard in an amazing way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Um, and behind, on the car behind, uh, is Kirsten Dunst and Amy Adams, the two runners-up. Uh, Kirsten Dunst goes, this is how I thought I would die, choking on swan gas. Very <laughs> nice, very likeable. Uh, and the swan, when it's lit, immediately explodes. <laughs> you see it catch fire. Denise That's Richards great. looks down, sees it on fire and goes, oh, great. And then explodes. <laughs> it is like fantastic wishful thinking at this point in a way that I I wish wasn't as fantastic and wishful thinking that like it's essentially their arrogance multiplied by their racism that ends up yes. exploding the murderous daughter <laughs> who is proxy for her murderous mother. But like, I love it. Multiplied by their bad parenting, because she's like, "You get on that float." Yeah, yeah, right, totally. I, but I, I still love that. That's what they, we're doing here. I love that it's like oh, yeah. right after we have several times where they deride Mexico in one way or another, and then just she, she goes up in a ball of flames and then die because of it. <laughs> Excellent revenge. And also, like, she loves Jesus. She's gonna be very happy. Yeah. Yes. Spirit in the sky. <laughs> and then also our Duff Stand character. Like a, a stage light falls on her and then it turns out that she has lost her hearing in the accident. Oh, yes? So she's thrilled. And you're like, oh, <laughs> great. I do worry about how Ellen Barkin is going to do hair. but yeah. <laughs> So with Denise so. Richards out of the picture. So <laughs> yeah, Denise Richards is, is dead. Kirstie Alley then gives a for your consideration speech where she... She sort of breaks down. She goes, she says, she yells at the burnt husk of the swan. Get up. We've got to go to state. <laughs> She's obsessed with uh, going to state. Uh... Yeah. So Denise Richards is dead. Kirstie Alley admits that she did all the killings. She does a real breakdown. That should have been you to Kirsten Dunst. Then she admits to killing the girl on the tractor who blew up. And she's carted off to jail. And as a result of Denise Richards being blown up on a swan, Kirsten Dunst, by default, goes to state. Like Johnson. She's sworn in at, at the funeral. Oh, yes! She, yeah. Which I'd never noticed until this rewatch, because I rewatched it with my mom uh, last week, and she was like, it's happening at the my mom was so excited. <laughs> they they got to rob any moment of joy that they can from her because that's yes. life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she is just over the moon to find out she's going to be staying at the airport Howard Johnson, which I did not understand. As a kid, I had no idea what an airport Howard Johnson was. I assumed a luxury hotel. So she she heads there 
uh, with Alison Janney as her chaperone because her mother is going to have an operation on her hand, which has been, since the uh, trailer was exploded, her hand has been wrapped around a beer can. Uh, and <laughs> it just It's fused to this beer can, so she's going to have an operation on her hand. So Alison Janney and Kirsten Dunst go to state. And when they get there, the two characters who ought to have a spin-off um, Terry and Colleen. Yes. Oh my God. They're they're the directors or something like I yeah. Regional directors and one of them is Nora Dunn. Oh we are. And we famously love the the Dunn yeah, the acting so Dunns on this show. <laughs> Nora and Kevin. You can't go wrong. I see. That's Nora Dunn. I didn't know. Now I know what she looks like. Um, <laughs> she they they arrive with sort of cocktails in hand and they're like, okay, so. <laughs> You're not staying overnight. So the airport, Howard Johnson immediately gets ripped from uh, Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> and um, they're like, you're, you're performing in eight hours, so we got to do a dress rehearsal now. They do this dress rehearsal, and there's a woman, I just remember this, who's meant to be a teenager, I guess, but she's an absolutely phenomenal classical singer. And you just see mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst's heart sink because suddenly she's in the big leagues. And um, she says, oh, I should probably have just stayed home. And... Watching it this time, that made my heart sink because I know what it's like to sit outside an audition room and hear someone absolutely mm. nailing like <laughs> the song you're yeah. about to go in and do your 32 <laughs> bars from. Um, and go, uh, I should just go home. And watching it, I went, oh, yeah, she wasn't going to win. She wasn't going to win state. Mm. There, and there's a girl playing a violin uh, who's phenomenal. And then they all have lunch and they're all eating seafood and uh, from a seafood buffet. And Kirsten Dunst says, oh, no, I, I don't eat seafood. My mum says, never eat anything that lives in its own home. You don't know when it's last been cleaned yes. or something. <laughs> yes. It's such a good little piece of advice. Yeah. And at the, oh, there's this amazing bit because at the beginning of the movie, there's like a fake um, join the beauty pageant video and it's adam west yes oh my god uh, playing himself he's like everybody should uh, sign up to the sarah what's it called sarah rose cosmetics beauty pageant yeah. and um then later in the film there's a girl talking to kirsten dunce caught on a hot mic and she goes oh at the junior miss sarah rose my roommate had sex with adam west and she, she, <laughs> she goes she said he was so horny and then at the bottom of the screen it just comes up mr west was unavailable for <laughs> that's so funny it's really great it's very the irishman of them actually <laughs> that's so good I, it made me like adam west even more yeah and then Kirsten Dunst did choose wisely not eating the shellfish because about an hour later, every, everyone just starts throwing up and it is disgusting and harrowing. <laughs> it is harrowing. And then she is the default winner of State. Yeah, she's like Sherry Ford. I'd never known why either, because surely the pageant didn't take place. <laughs> totally. They're just like, you're the last person standing. You're right. And that kind of implies, yeah, either they sent the only person who didn't need to be hospitalized or <laughs> they just had the pageant and they made her do all her events. Yes! And they're like, OK, you win. No one else competed. Yeah. Good job. I really like the idea that it's just a missing scene where she um, performed <laughs> her number to no judges. She just does the same tap routine we saw. <laughs> The cutaways to like past pageant winners are also great, yes. and we also get Jean from Fargo, yes, playing a, a past winner Amazing. in a, a pork commercial, which is just incredible. She loves St. Paul's pork products. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> she loves them. She just keeps talking about the factory, and then goes, "I loved it. I love St. Paul's pork products so much. I work here now." <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, it's like really great at illustrating. Like wherever you end up, that if as long as you're happy to be there, that's great. But like it's really great at illustrating if you're a kid who just like kind of wants to get out of town, the impending doom you feel looking around a lot of the time where you're like that person's right. trapped in this particular way. That person's trapped in this particular way. Surely I'm bound to be trapped. And so like there's mm-hmm. there has like all of these little and the director is from uh, Albany, which I kind of read that I I I know people from Albany who felt that way growing up. So <laughs> there's right. like a lot of those bits in here that I really enjoy and that that port commercial mm-hmm. is a perfect version of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Albany <laughs> through William Kennedy novels. So as far as I can tell, it's haunted by the ghosts of a lot of day laborers from the Depression. <laughs> I think that's probably right. So 
Oh, so. Oh, so, yes, she's won. So now she's going to the national finals as the state representative of Minnesota. And the film ends incredibly abruptly when she arrives for finals <laughs> and Sarah Rose Cosmetics has gone into administration due to tax fraud. <laughs> and the, it just doesn't happen. So, And all these uh, state winners, beauty queens, start just ripping the, <laughs> the so building bad. apart. It's amazing. Those girls go feral. <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst just gets back on the bus, sadly, and it's bleak. <laughs> And really importantly, there's the, like, is it at the very, very, is it like the credit scene where mm. we get Kirstie Alley who shows up shooting as like a sniper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's trying to kill Amber Atkins. And it's great because it's kind of a twist reveal because we're settling in mm. to be like, oh, it's the Animal right. House ending. And then the yeah. plot is unfolding still, which is great. Yes, right. Yeah. And she ends up, she ends up taking over as a, a news reporter because is the news reporter shot? Is that the reason? Yeah, so which like feels yeah. differently now than in the 90s to watch. Yes, absolutely. Which is like a very, yeah, absolutely. But she takes over for the news reporter, becomes the Diane Sawyer she wants to be. The Mary Tyler Moore theme comes up. It's brilliant. But like it's all, I think that there are two schools of thought that are both important and oppositional, Mm. right? One is not leaving the house is totally fine. Like sometimes not leaving the house is the optimal option because of everything that's going on. But also like you may not win the beauty pageant. You may get to the end of the beauty pageant and realize that it's no longer in service or whatever. But like from leaving the house to go on that journey, something mm-hmm. up comes along the way. And she gets her yeah. dream. She gets her dream by yes. being in the right place at the right time. I did, Fortunately, she didn't get shot. Yes. Yeah. And also that her whole life. I don't know that like her life in this town is everyone kind of trying to destroy her. And <laughs> yeah. I think what's so great about this movie is that it's like. Stuff like this and like Dick, another great yeah. Kirsten Dunst movie of the same mm-hmm. year, I think, and Veronica Mars and, you know, just like a lot of stuff for and about teens, like I think reflects the reality of being a teenager because it like takes place in this elevated reality that like is what it feels like to be a teenager where you kind of do feel like everyone's trying to control totally. and destroy you. And in this one, it's just like more out where you can see it. Totally. Oh, Yeah. Suze, when you saw this the first time, what made you go back six more? I absolutely doubled over laughing so much. <laughs> it's literally that. I remember finding it so incredibly funny. At the time, I just discovered Spinal Tap. And oh, wow. Best in Show wasn't out yet, but we had Spinal Tap on video at home. And so I kind of went, oh, it's like Spinal Tap. And I ended up writing my uh university major i did i did script writing mm. at university and i ended up writing a mockumentary because i think i'd mm. love the format even though you can't really write one of these things and get it made uh, it's not a thing mm. because the best stuff comes out of improvisation they're cheap to make i guess if you can improvise the whole thing but someone's still got to fund them uh right and the fact that this was able to get made is pretty amazing i think there's it's it does feel like a, an anomaly that it was able to happen in the 90s yeah and then leaning into the in joke of this movie which is them constantly asking if they're on cops essentially yes. led to reno 911 like the next project was this I, right sort of like this director and writer like was was a huge part of making Reno nine one one. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I love Reno nine one one. Oh my god, me too! And it's like one of the best mockumentary, <laughs> long running mockumentary shows yeah. ever made. It's so yeah. fucking wow. good. And like long running improv games too. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah, is Reno nine one one improvised? Yeah. I believe it has to be. At least a lot of it is, yeah. Because all of the, the the two crews that are represented are improv groups, so I assume that I assume that must be the case. Ah. And obviously Tom Lennon, who leads Reno 911, is the voice of the documentarian in this. I see. I hadn't thought about it till this moment, but a show about cops being the spinoff of this movie <laughs> is, is really perfect. <laughs> Sarah, what speaks to you about this movie? You know, I guess like, as I was saying before, like it feels very real to me. I feel like small towns are often very deathy, which is not to say that other places aren't because like everywhere is obviously. But I feel like the thing about small towns is that like when somebody dies, like the thing they represent is just gone forever. You can't pretend that there's like another way to that anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like. 
this story of like horrible fucked up stuff happening in a small town in a way that everyone is fairly deadpan about just like and that the rest of the country never hears about and doesn't seem like a big deal just like feels very real to me yeah yeah yes there's the um uh it's very clearly denise richards takes out a boy in their class that she's she's sort of chatting up in the lunch queue seeing if he wants to hang out mm-hmm. and he kind of makes his excuses then hits on Kirsten Dunst in front of her and then Kirsten mm. Dunst at the morgue not the morgue the funeral home takes a sheet off to make up her next <laughs> make her next corpse and it's this guy who she's agreed to go on a date with with a gunshot right in the middle of his forehead because <laughs> and, the, and then in the next scene Denise Richards is cleaning a gun and they say did you hear about him and she goes well hunting's dangerous <laughs> like they don't try and try make it ambiguous at all yeah. yeah it's the town must know the town must know and fear this horrendous family yeah it's and that was and that's another thing that spoke to it as well is like i i still know who the families were in the town that i grew up in who are this family who like this is just right. like a slightly elevated slightly heightened version of people who are trying to maintain their like a weird backwoods like monarchy almost you know like they're trying to like uphold this thing uh, right I, I always think this about america you you don't have a royal family and i think the, the mm. monarchy is a ridiculous concept that is not worthy of respect i always feel like your ex-presidents are treated like royalty they're sort of untouchable and i've had to have this drummed into me because i'm always like donald trump will go to jail <laughs> and I, um, various americans have gone probably not because he's right. an ex-president and that is the closest you have to like a king or queen Right, right, and, and Donald Trump's family operates like this family in particular, which is like, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like a lot of yeah, a lot of issues with like the expectations of the parent, essentially like turning you into whatever, turning you into a little a little criminal warlord, mm-hmm. and then you know acting accordingly and holding on to power for dear life and taking everyone down with you, like the very similar mentality. It's like the same. Mm-hmm. It's like the Ozark or like the Breaking Bad mentality as well, which is like another right. version of it where it's like you're so fixated on preserving your ego and everything it wanted when it was 14 years old mm-hmm. that you ruin everything around you right but it makes it funny <laughs> yeah Kirstie Alley literally has to admit to several murders in front of the entire town in a high-pitched rage yeah. before something brings down this family we never see we never see the husband again do we <laughs> no, no. Hmm. you know you have to wonder about uh what charges he could be brought up on <laughs> uh, he probably just remarried <laughs> immediately yeah he did <laughs> There's something that consistently, I don't know, because I feel like this movie, like, it's really, can we talk about where it is in the spectrum of, like, laughing at versus laughing with? Mm-hmm. My struggle revisiting it this time is, and this is, like, so very much a cultural difference that, like, if you were not around in the 90s, it's very difficult, to, not not justify, but it's difficult to describe how it functioned. Totally. But the function of disconnected irony that theoretically made you superior and able to laugh at how people are by adopting some of the things that they do and using it as a punchline. Like, you know, sometimes people still try to be funny in this way because they don't realize the culture has moved on and that we were kind of wrong in some ways to be doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. This movie does that a lot where like they refer to like one of the judge's brothers is developmentally disabled and they refer to him as the R word consistently. Mm -hmm. And Mm That is so true, again, to my experience going to school. That was something everyone called each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone called each other, but many people used yeah. that as as an insult. But like most kids, yeah. Yes, yeah. it was like it, that was used, if not a homophobic, like some homophobic slur, like yeah. those were used consistently. And also it was used until shockingly recently by people who had good intentions mm-hmm. to describe sort of where someone was at. So that mm-hmm. happens regularly again as a way to question mark, isn't it funny how backwards this town is, but also it gives you the opportunity to laugh mm-hmm. at the use of the term. Right. And I kind of feel yeah. similarly about it's something that I feel like probably worked really, really well on paper, but some of it like makes me extraordinarily uncomfortable, particularly having had friends who like lost big chunks of their school time with like uh, eating disorders. Like the whole piece of the 
of last year's queen mm-hmm. being anorexic. Like I like what it's saying mm-hmm. to like have to sit with the joke on screen a lot yeah. of time. You're like, what are we laughing at here? Right. Yes, agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's Will Sasso, isn't it? Playing the Mike McShane character is called Hank and he and Will Sasso is mm-hmm. his brother yes. who has yes. a, like it's I'd forgotten this character and when it came up in the film watching it last week, I saw them and went, oh, fuck, of course. And when I saw this at 14, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. Like, we absolutely would sure. not make that today and neither should we. Mm-hmm. But I also rewatched recently the 90s Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Mm. I saw it in the theater. Let's talk. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, some, someone just walks up to him at one point and says, that's our word, id. Uh, and I, wow. it makes you go, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it really is like a slap in the face now when you see yeah. that on screen. And it was so casually and liberally used throughout the 90s. It's a real 90s thing. It, the one thing that doesn't show up in this film that made me go, oh, this must be the only 90s comedy that didn't have this was like trans jokes. I don't remember mm. there being any transphobic yeah. jokes on this rewatch. Well, they spun the wheel a few times and they were like, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. It is like, I feel like we always talk about this with 80s and 90s movies, especially Mm because we talk about them so often. But I feel like there's just like, you can see this real cultural norm of like, obviously jokes have to be at somebody's expense. And Mm. really, ideally, it's best for them to be at the expense of a cultural outgroup who is like Mm -hmm. marginalized already. Mm. Right, Mm -hmm. right. What's so interesting about this being of the state DNA, and I don't mean to, you know, compare people within a comedy troupe, but like, is Wet Hot American Summer came out the next year. It was the Mm -hmm. second movie that came out of the state. And again, these movies are not asking to be compared, but like when you do compare them, you're like, Wet Hot American Summer handled things way better. Like it was not shooting, it was not shooting for disaffected irony. Yeah as its punchline. And arguably it, it sank like a stone when it came out because of that, because it yes. was so weirdly sincere that no one knew what was happening. Right, right. Totally. That's so well put and that's so true. And I do think that like most of the time in a very 90s way, Drop Dead Gorgeous believes that it's punching up. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of times it does not realize that it's not. Punching up. Punching mm-hmm. right down. Yeah. Right, right. It's punching right down. And in, in like for the most part, the overwhelming message of this movie is the very strange fixations of like egomaniacal parents and like town elders lead to things mm-hmm. that are like bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these jokes, I'm like, you thought you were punching up, man. And I was there. I I, mm-hmm. I, I adopted some of this humor as a teen for sure. But it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I loved so much the Will Sasso character that me and my friends would quote him. And on this rewatch, it wasn't that I was like, oh, I'm laughing in spite of myself. I was like, yeah, it's not that funny. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, 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 joke is, the joke is not funny. So, hey, we can all grow and change. So to me, the only funny thing is that his abusive brother dies. Like, that part's yes. pretty good. Yeah. And I love, I love that he dies and he gets the store. Yeah. It's the best comeuppance in the entire movie. And I bet he does a great job with it because I'm sure he's better at customer service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he's so constantly attacking people. Yeah, his, the final shot of him is just pushing the lawnmower outside the store, like head to toe in tinfoil. He's having the time of his life. <laughs> yeah, I think that this, it makes this one difficult because there is so much brilliance in this movie and mockumentary is so great and it's I feel like this was like very important for me to see when I saw it but even in like again Reno 911 which kind of comes out of this like it seems to from what I've seen and revisited has like more heart and less like punching across than punching down or punching up than punching down I would have a very difficult time recommending this movie cold unless I knew a lot of things about the person Yes, Mm -hmm. agree, because there's Mm. also this uh, Japanese family in it. Yes. Right. (laughs) And you're just like, what's this about? Yeah, they're like, no, they, their English isn't perfect. That's very funny. Right, right. The fact that they want to completely immerse themselves in American culture, that is funny, but the way it's approached feels very late 90s. (laughs) And I feel like the 90s, like, that we were interested in, like, finding groups that we felt we could convince ourselves we weren't punching down at. Mm. So we felt this way about like Japanese or Japanese American characters because Mm -hmm. it was like 
you know, well, World War II. And it's like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> fat people in 80s yeah. and 90s movies because we're like, well, they're sinful. So it's, you know, we're mm-hmm. allowed to it's yeah sin Mm -hmm. Uh, suddenly you become very religious (laughs) and you know and then you can joke about gay people because i think we i think in america we like went we flipped a switch and went straight from like they're the spawn of satan to they've already won so many civil rights it's like fine to make fun of them right (laughs) right and 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 you're like wow that happened fast it's like the second somebody wins a single right you're like i'm punching up right they're way up there they won they got one right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. lona williams who wrote the movie who was sort of the the primary writer of the movie i think might have written the entire movie was herself a minnesota beauty queen which is amazing right was at least a pageant contestant she was the yeah, she was the runner up in America's Junior Miss. Oh boy. Won a ten thousand mm-hmm. dollar scholarship. And like I think all the things that work especially well about this movie is what it's saying about like pageant culture, mm-hmm. beauty culture, aspiring to do something that is like seemingly from the outside a little strange and the subcultures that would exist within it, you know, pageant right. moms, etc. Like all of that mm-hmm. stuff is what ended up, I think, when I was a kid, like speaking to me the most is mm-hmm. I, so much of my high school experience was like, what is this all for? Like, my primary question is like, why are we so anxious about the wrong things? And Mm -hmm. this was a really great meditation on, I don't know if it's it's necessarily saying it's the wrong things, but it's saying like, if you look really close at anything that people take too seriously, it's, it can be really funny inside. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, my mockumentary feature that I wrote at university was on the world of dressage. Oh my God. Hell yeah. Because my mum is a professional dressage rider for a job. And um, being a dressage rider that comes from no money is inherently funny because what the fuck are you doing? So I I wrote a, a script about it with a cast of characters who all different dressage riders and I love dressage I think it is it's my favorite sport I find it fascinating and beautiful and it makes me cry uh but equally Mm. it's fucking stupid what are you doing (laughs) why are you doing that (laughs) I think looking at small subcultures like best in show looks at dog showing Mm. and the stakes are so high for these people even though if we heard someone work with show dogs we'd go all right, I, that has no impact on my life. Yeah. I think that's what is here with this beauty pageant. I Like to that point, I remember being in Boy Scouts and you do this thing called the Pinewood Derby where you take a block of wood and with your father, probably, unless you have a dicey relationship with your father, you make a car out of it. <laughs> and then you're forced to carve a car all by yourself, sobbing in the garage <laughs> right. back of father figure. Well, so like already, so A... This is a design flaw because everyone has a very different relationship Mm -hmm. with their father Mm -hmm. and some people shouldn't be collaborating with their dads to make cars. (laughs) Most of us even. But two or B, I can't remember which I started with. There are always local conspiracies about dads and kids who cheat on the Pinewood mm-hmm. Derby they put mm. weights in the car that you're not supposed to put and there's wow. like there's like you know like judges that will look the other way or this person won because they knew this guy and I'm like this is fucking South High Remain Boy Scouts <laughs> like why are we this intense about it <laughs> kids juicing and <laughs> right because you can't love a loser Alex right. <laughs> if you love a loser your dick will climb back up into your body that's exactly, that, that's exactly and right. then it'll be a vagina and then where will you be like people would like kids would cry and I'd be like why wow. are they crying and then I realized later it's like because their dad's gonna be mean to them you know yeah. what I mean like, oh, it was like and, oh and my because god because they've internalized the meanness right which you right. do so mm-hmm. early you like because you know what it means yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah i was like thank god i'm fully checked out emotionally already so you can't hurt me yeah. <laughs> god i'll deal with this in, t- in 30 years at therapy <laughs> yeah you look back on extracurricular stuff because i was a child who felt like incredibly anxious at the prospect of basically any social activity from a pretty early age. (laughs) And I look back on that and I'm like, you know, that really set me back and has made life hard. But like, boy, I had a point because so many extracurricular things are just like trusting area parents to like help create a harmonious social experience for their kids. And then you look at their lives and you're like, why are they supposed to know how to do that? Look at them. If they knew how to do that, then they would be doing it. Absolutely. And I think that that's what this movie speaks to with me is like if you were sensitive 
in any way. And you could just see that the structure was as fucked up as the most fucked up parent, right? Like the Mm -hmm. whole potluck dinner or like whatever, like the thing that like all the parents come to and you just like, it's like this, we're only as good as the weakest link here. And like that parent is super fucked up. Like that's what this movie's Mm -hmm. about. That's what this movie speaks to or spoke to when I was a kid. Yeah. And how we all know this, right? How there's like this sort of level of tyranny that thrives in a world where, as in many situations, like the most difficult person gets to win every time mm-hmm. because there's not, a, you know, the people working with them are not equipped to figure out another outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, by the end, she's obviously realized something like that because she sees a newscaster get shot and goes, ooh, an opportunity. Uh, so dark (laughs) i know it really is you're like wow she did not miss a beat either no so we know that sam mcmurray who plays lester lehman Mm -hmm. is i think i think this movie's only father Hmm. makes Mm -hmm. you think yeah totally. we have the japanese dad but you know oh yes 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 you're right you're right who in your view is the daddy oh well it alice and jenny perfect She's going to be the daddy and the mayor of Montrose. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us why you're picking Alice and Jenny. Alice and Jenny. Well, she is um, essentially Kirsten Dunst has two parents in this film and it's um, her mother, Ellen Barkin, and her other mother, Alice and Jenny, who really <laughs> steps up all times. She's so lovely. And this, I'm sure that most of that is to do with her as a performer because she's incredible but she is so warm and real in this film and i would want her accompanying me to a sham beauty pageant definitely (laughs) yeah for all your sham beauty pageant needs (laughs) i'm gonna pick i feel like a probably not obvious character although i feel like it's obvious Brittany murphy's brother who is never in the movie but is very clearly her inspiration and uh i don't know i just love i love her love for her brother and wanting to tell everyone about him as liza it's beautiful and you know that like it's it appears to be the (laughs) only positive male role model or um family member in the entire movie so i love her brother whose name i can't recall love it aside from that kid who got shot in the head possibly We really don't know, but he seemed nice. (laughs) He seemed like he was fine. Yeah, he did. He had good taste in women. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sarah Marshall. (sighs) For me, it's got to be Brittany Murphy. And we talked about this in the Waiting for Guffman episode, but I feel like something that I love and that so many people love and that we all love for a reason is the like expressing of what's inside of you in a a theatrical way, right? And what Kirsten Mm. Dunst is saying, it's like, It hurts so much to see the injustice of her not being allowed to do her routine by these adults who are like clearly sabotaging her and then Mm -hmm. like doing it in one of the really most damaging ways that adult women do to teenage girls, which is by Mm. being like, my hands are tied. It's just the rules, just the stupid made up rules that I made up. There's nothing I can do. And I also clearly sabotaged you, but it's just the rules. (laughs) That's what being a kid is like. Yes, that's what it is the whole time. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst is like, you know, I didn't think I would beat Becky. I just wanted to dance. I just wanted to do my routine that I've been practicing on the side of the road Mm -hmm. this whole time. Mm -hmm. And Brittany Murphy gives her her costume. And it's like, I just love it so much. It's it's like the sincere moments of this movie feel so sincere. And again, I feel like that's what allows it to like stand to kind of persist as something that still works for us I think yeah totally yeah like even when Mm. things get things wrong which this movie gets a lot wrong like there is a heart at its core which I think is like the reason that people return to it and can see yes kind of what it was trying to say yeah 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 there's parts of it that haven't aged at all there's parts that have aged very badly and there's (laughs) parts that uh, feel as fresh (laughs) as a daisy yes well said yeah just like me (laughs) (laughs) i hear that i feel that suze how can people find you thank you for coming and bringing us this movie what where do you want people to look for you 
Thank you. Well, I used to say Twitter, but <laughs> that shit could fall any day now. What's that line from the Dion? Like, <laughs> seen Saigon? That Yay. could fall any day now. Uh, but I am on Twitter as long as it survives till this episode comes out. Twitter.com slash Suze UK, S-O-O-Z-U-K. I do a podcast called Mystery on the Rocks with two comedians uh, where it's true crime and we drink cocktails. And I'm on tour. If you're listening to this and you're in the UK or you fancy flying to the UK, I am touring my solo stand-up hour PlayStation Ooh. in lots of venues around Great Britain for the nice. next couple of months. So love to see you there. Just go to Great Britain. Just why not? If you've been thinking about it, just do it. Yeah, just come here. It's it's not it's not falling apart. Our two main parties aren't an absolute shit show trying to impersonate each other. Like, no, no. no. <laughs> Look, it's called Great Britain. I'm sure everything's going <laughs> yeah. amazing. It's in the name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Suze Kempner for joining us on the show. We had such a great time with Suze. Suze, we're excited to have you back again soon. We had a wonderful time. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for uh, editing the episode. Miranda, by the way, is going to be on an upcoming episode of Look Who's Talking Now. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram at You Are Good Pod in both of those places. Again, those who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions get bonus episodes, so check us out there. Thank you so much to Fresh Lesh for making the beats that make the show sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thanks for everything you do. And all right, I think that's it. Thanks so much for everything you do. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. <laughs>